MMA Roadshow, episode number 234. My name is John Morgan. I am in Mexico City, Mexico right now. Cold Coffee is not with me. He's back in Las Vegas, but that's okay. I got something even better than cold coffee. I got my man Rodrigo Del Campo. You know if we're coming to Mexico, we're getting Rodrigo Del Campo. A man of many talents, many roles, but you know, the, the man behind Indiscutido.com. Yes, That's what matters in uh, Spanish language broadcasting, all kinds of stuff. Bottom line is Spanish language MMA, Mexican MMA, if you need knowledge of it, he's your man. How you doing, brother? As always, with way too many work and too little money. <laughs> no, we're good. We're good. Tired. A uh, little sleepless, but but happy, man. The, the UFC finally back in Mexico City after a couple of years. I was going to say, I mean, I guess we knew we were going to come back. It's been two years, and yeah. you and I talked last time we were here. We knew it wasn't going to happen in 2019. We knew there was a TV deal issue going mm-hmm. on, but now there is a new TV deal in place. Uh, it's been on since the beginning of this year. Uh, excuse me, 2018. We'll be back in yeah. 2019. That, uh, that it's been the beginning of this year. Uh, it's on Fox now, whereas before it was kind of behind a paywall. Fox isn't exactly like... Televisa where it's everywhere, right? Or or is it? How how big is Fox? Big. I mean, yeah, 2018 was a lame duck year. They, they had a new deal with Fox that was already signed. And they were uh, from Central America down, they were in, on Fox. And they did 2018 with Televisa in Mexico behind a paywall. Uh, Fox is big, like from the sports networks in Latin America, ESPN, Fox, uh, Claro Sports, where I work. Uh, Fox is the biggest of them all. They have the most screens. But that doesn't mean that they're doing the best job, which is the problem right now. Uh, they're not broadcasting full cards. I mean, the first prelims, I think they're doing Mexico. They did uh, Uruguay. I think that'll be it. They're not doing wow. the, the early prelims, never on air. And they're pushing the cards to like Fox Sports 2, Fox Sports 3, where Fox Sports 3 isn't really on that many TV so. It's been kind of weird uh, working with Fox for, for this first year for people. And we'll see how it goes. I mean, th- they have a long way to go with this deal. That's interesting because that reminds me of, like, you know, if, when they were on Fox in, in the United States. And it was like, well, is it on FS1? Is it on FS2? Oh. Is it over here? Is it there? And you have to track it down. It makes it so hard on the viewer. Pay-per-views in Latin America are just crazy confusing. Like, the early prelims, can only see them on UFC Fight Pass. Second prelims will be in one of the three Fox Sports channels, one, two, or three. And then the main card will be behind uh, paywall. The, the Fox in, in Latin America has this Fox Premium thing. It's kind of like HBO. It's a set of like five channels, right. all of them dedicated to movies. And on one of them, Fox Action Premium, they put the main cards of the UFC fight. So if you want to watch a pay-per-view event, a numbered event, completely, you have to pay $10 for Fight Pass your cable bill for the middle prelims, and then an extra, which is like 10 bucks a month, for the premium channels to watch the main card. I so thought it's, the whole, it's a fucking mess. I thought the whole idea was to get not behind a paywall. And Wasn't that the problem we yes. talked about last time? Was there yeah. was a subscription network, and nobody can afford to pay that, and that's not what people are doing? I thought that was the whole point of this deal. So five nights, you get them on Fox Sports, and then the number of events is the ones that you get the main card behind a paywall. Wow. That's mind-blowing to me. And it's, like, super confusing. I thought I was going to sit down with you and you were going to say, John Morgan, we got it. We're moving in the right direction now. We got got the new deal in place. We're back. We got live events. We're moving in the right direction. It's so weird. I mean, it it really is weird. Like, uh, everyone thought that when we got to Fox, when the UFC got back to Fox, they were treated like a premium uh, company. And the thing is, like, Fox in Mexico uh, is in a kind of transition. You saw in the States... 
uh, this buyout from Disney to a call a right. lot of Fox uh, networks. Like this is why we had the prelims in FX the other day in the U.S. because right. FX is now owned by Disney. But in Mexico, the government the government didn't allow Disney to buy Fox. <laughs> they say it would be a monopoly, which they're right. Right. So in Mexico, Fox Sports is looking for a new buyer. From Central America on down. They're part of Disney right now. That's so crazy. So it's getting kind of confusing. And Fox, especially in Mexico, they have way too many licenses. They have like four teams from the Liga MX here in Mexico. They have baseball. They have NASCAR. They have way too many things. They've even and got they, a ton of fight sport as well. I was going to, yes, yeah, I talked to a Bellator. gentleman earlier. He said they have Bellator. I think they uh, what a glory. Bellator. They have glory sometimes. They had another kickboxing company in, in South America. So the problem, I think it really is, is they have way too many licenses And they have sometimes trouble in the in the weekends, especially in Mexico. A lot of teams in Mexico play on Saturdays, like at sure. 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. And now you get these cards that are starting here in Mexico City, 4 p.m. first fight locally, which is like central time in the States. So they're kind of in a bind in a, in a, on a lot of weekends. It's so interesting because, you know, like UFC on ESPN, big deal in the United States. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously it's a big deal. But I did always say, you know, when you were on – you know, FS1, and they don't have anything else. When you were on Spike and they didn't have anything else. They push it. They push it. I mean, yeah. you become the, the, the focus. You're the star. That's it. And so there's something to be said about being alongside those powerhouses, being alongside soccer, being alongside yeah. all the pro sports in, in, in the United States. But, yeah, then you don't get the spotlight of being the star. There's definitely, like, the, the, there's some rubbing off, especially in Mexico, of being on, on a network big. I think they have, I mean, They're obviously not U.S. numbers, but like 40 million, 45 million screens in Latin America, which is the biggest. I think it's biggest, bigger than Fox, than ESPN. Uh, Claro Sports, where I work, we're in about 25 million screens in Latin America. So, so, so you get a sense of, of, of the of the size. It is a big deal to be on Fox. Right. Let, let, let's get that straight. It's a big feel to have Fox on the back. Do not be like every single fight behind a paywall, which was. With the UFC Network and with Televisa that didn't really care for the UFC at all and didn't really push it. All right, let's talk about Mexico, like where the, the passion for MMA has, has evolved in the last two years. It's been two years since we've been down here. What's the appetite? I mean, has it, has it grown? Has it fallen? What's, what, what, what do you get to feel? Mexico's in a weird place with, with MMA. Uh, there's barely any local MMA, which is a big problem. Uh, companies don't really sponsor MMA in Mexico. It's difficult to get a sponsorship. And I'm telling you, as an independent owner-operator of, of an MMA website, uh, sponsors don't really go to MMA companies, MMA promotions, uh, invest a lot of money, lose a lot of money, and then get out of the game because uh, the sponsors aren't there. No? Right. So right now you have, like, I think one or two promotions that are kind of doing well in Mexico, and that's it. So you have a lot of fighters, and they don't really have where to fight. That's tough. And then the UFC, with that transformation when they were bought by Endeavor, uh, they decided to cut the, the Latin America development programs. Right. And we stopped making the Ultimate Fighter because you have no network to actually pay for it. Televisa used to pay for the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, Cloud Sports tried to salvage the, the Ultimate Fighter. And that was when Jamie Pollock was fired and when all the whole uh, restructuring of Latin America happened. So that deal was dead. And that's the problem. There's a uh, passion for MMA, but right now there is no path for Mexican fighters or for Central American and South American fighters yeah. to get to the UFC. That, that's the problem right now. That's tough. With not the ultimate fighter, with no development program, there really isn't like a path. I mean, it's difficult for a Mexican citizen, for a South American citizen to get a visa to go fight in LFA, to go fight in Titan, 
uh, to go fight overseas. So you end up fighting in, in local shows where uh, the matchmakers in the UFC can't really gauge uh, your level. Right. Uh, you can sign with Combat Americas, but Combat Americas is not. They have made it pretty clear they're not going to be a feeder series. Right. If you're going to sign with us, you're going to fight sign for five or six uh, fights, and we, if you get the call from you from the UFC, we are not letting you go to UFC. And scary it's, proposition it, it, it's for a, a prospect. Warning, it's a warning they tell the fighters. I mean, this is not new information. Right. They tell them, yeah. we're not letting you go. You're for six fights. That's it. So th- there's not really a path uh, to, to get to UFC that, right now. That's interesting. Okay, so for anybody that doesn't know, the developmental program that you talk about, the UFC for a long time brought fighters to the United States, right? Put them at like Jackson's, it put was them at like four, AKA. Four programs. It was the first one at Jackson's. 2013, this is the program that gave us Brandon Moreno, Jay Rodriguez, Teco Quiñones, Alejandro Perez, etc., etc. Uh, then the second program was American Top Team, third and fourth with a Kings MMA. They had a group of over like 12 fighters, six months to a year, uh, full scholarship with training uh, uh, per diem, and all you do is train. It's amazing. What was the, the, the purpose? Not only to get fighters to go to the U.S. Uh, and fight for the UFC, but to get fighters... Uh, accustomed to the way the U.S. trains MMA right. so they can come back to their towns, to their cities, and change the culture in their gyms, change the training, and then you can get uh, fighters developing on those nations. You know what's interesting to me is that the UFC never really talked about it. You would want to ask them about Super it. Super secret. I don't understand why. I mean, oh. that's such a great program. I mean, the amount of money yeah. and time that they invested, like you said, not just to find fighters for the UFC right then, but to help develop the culture and to make it better. And I don't understand. You would talk to them about it, and they never wanted to speak about it on record, and, and I don't get it because, to me, that's nothing but good PR. Well, Carlos, who is sitting right here next to me, Carlos Contreras de Gaspi from Milenio, and I went in 2013 to Albuquerque because four of those guys were fighting, and we had our some, uh, let's say, hardships with the UFC leadership <laughs> because they didn't want it to, get no, to be known that they were there. So weird. You so know? weird. I don't get so, it. I don't know. Well, let me ask you this. Okay, so the UFC Performance Institute is, is coming to Mexico City, yes, right? I, I understand they've identified the land. It's an existing building that they're going to convert. It's around here. Is that right? We're not saying where we are. Yeah. We will talk we'll about t- it when we're done. <laughs> but it's really close from here. It's really close from my work. It's like three blocks right? away from Oh, that's going to be super convenient <laughs> for you, man. That's phenomenal. Okay, so that's going to happen. And uh, so, and, it, and I'm assuming once they open it, just like China, you'll have a champion like three months later, right? That's the way it works. That's the way it works, <laughs> the way it works yeah, right? that's the way it works. But no, all right. So listen, I'm excited about this. I mean, China, of course, it happened that Zhang Wali became a champion right after. She was not a product of the Institute, to be clear. Yeah, no. But of course, what they're doing in China is an investment in the future, right, where they're finding athletes and unlike in the United States they're actually training them and teaching them they're going to follow that same model here in Mexico yeah. so I think that's got to be exciting right but that now now because of what you've told me I'm a little bit concerned so if they're getting these athletes and they're hey man we're teaching them and we're showing them where are they going to fight but if there's nowhere yeah. to fight exactly uh, that could be a little bit of a challenge exactly and, and then you get kind of mixed signals because uh you, you you get okay we're doing a PI I heard there might be an event in October you're in Mexico when they show the land to, to the media. But then you come back after two years with no open workouts, with no ceremonial weigh-ins. So it's like, it really is the mixed signal. Mixed you know, signals. okay, uh, I'm interested in, in Mexico as a market. We're going to push Mexico. We'll be back in 2018. Uh, there's no open workouts. There's no uh, ceremonial weigh-ins. From what I understand, there's not going to be any UFC authority here in Mexico. And no Dave Shaw. I think Dave Shaw is not coming to Mexico. But you're doing a PI. So, I mean, it really is a mixed signal. I mean, it, might be, 
it might be a budget thing with what you spent in Abu Dhabi promoting with what you're going to spend in, in Australia. It's going to be a, a, a probably an expensive event for the sure. UFC. That might be it. But like to the average consumer, they say, okay, the UFC hasn't come here in two years. You're doing a fight night where we already had a couple of pay-per-views and there's no open workout. And then they releasing an event for public. There's not. If you don't If have you're tickets, a fan, yeah. you're, you're, you're shit out of luck. You're, you're not watching anything. It's crazy, know? man. All right, let me ask you this. Okay, so you mentioned it. When we first came here in 2014, we had the pay-per-views, back-to-back -back yeah. years, 20,000 people in Mexico City Arena. Amazing. Came back. It's not really fair to compare because they're fight nights, you know, 10,000, 11,000, which is not bad. I mean, it was same thing in the U.S. A fight night is not supposed to get 18,000, If If they did a pay-per-view event right now, had this been a pay-per-view, could there have been 20,000 tickets sold? I think the, the, the problem is they, they want to still do events locally, which I get. And then they're actually, that's what you have to do. It, the problem is right now, if you want to do a pay-per-view, there's no local star to get to heaven, right. you know? If Calvin had won the, the belt, if Brian Ortega had won a belt, uh, maybe. But I don't know if the UFC understands that Mexico, I mean, it, it's hard for the fighters to come here. But Mexico is a metropolis, man. Mexico is it's LA. It's New York. I mean, like, next week, Iron Maiden is filling at a 30,000 stadium. The Cure is playing in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we we get those shows. The NBA comes to Mexico. The NFL comes to Mexico. Formula One comes to Mexico. So you can bring any show from the UFC to Mexico City. It's got to be top level. Uh, no, no. It's got to be top level, A. And if you bring a top level event, you'll sell 20,000 tickets. Right. It doesn't have to be a Mexican fighter. Interesting. Like it's been, it would be awesome if it would be a Mexican fighter. Like I don't know. So it doesn't it, have to be Cain Velasquez. But you're like saying. for example, the first option for this fight night was Jair against Jose Aldo. Right. That was the first option for the headliner. That fight would have sold 20,000 tickets. Former champion. I have, I have no doubt that Aldo Rodriguez would have sold 20,000 tickets. Interesting. Interesting. No doubt. What about Cain Velasquez right now? How about what? How is his? I guess absence impacting the market and I mean are, are you concerned that he's not going to fight again I mean it looks like he's pretty good at this Lucha Libre stuff personally I'm happy yeah I'm really happy for him yeah he's uh, I don't know if people know Kane first and foremost is a family man yeah and I think that's the difference I know a lot of people in triple in triple A if you watch the Twitch uh, broadcast in Spanish Jose Manuel Guillén is a good friend of mine he does a play-by-play -play for for triple A in Spanish I mean Michelle looks happy Cora looks happy. Cain looks happy. His wife, his daughter, they look happy. Cain looks happy. I don't think we're going to see him back in the octagon. Wow. Is that, does, that, does that hurt the market? He's landing Thursday night in Mexico. Probably going to talk to him on Friday. We'll see. Uh, it, it hurts the market because Cain is 20,000 tickets instantly sold. Right. That's where it hurts. But you have to understand that when you got to Mexico City, Cain was at a crossroads where he had been injured before where he had long layoffs before, where you couldn't really say we're going behind Kane to this market because you didn't really know what you were going to get from Kane. Right. And you got injuries. Like, it sucked. True. You know, it happens to those NCAA Division One guys. It happens. Those guys destroy their bodies in college. Yep. Wildman, all those guys destroy their bodies in, in college. That's what happened with Kane. I mean, they're talking about training at AK, and, 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 and those Division One athletes – Destroy their bodies and call some of this. Some of them, like Ryan Bader, have no problem. Some of them, like Chris Weidman and Cain Velasquez, just get injured all the time. Yeah, no question. All right, well, we ended up 
man, I wish Aldo would have been a good fight. We ended up with Yaya Rodriguez versus Jeremy Stevens. It is a good fight. Um, but I'm, I feel like, you know, hardcores are excited. I mean, you know what Jeremy Stevens brings. When he comes yeah. in, he's coming to fight. It's not going to be a boring fight. It's not going to be a slow fight. He's going to push Yair Rodriguez, and I think it's great. But I do feel like the interest this week isn't necessarily just all in. And I think maybe it's, uh, I don't know, just maybe because there's no real ranking at place. We don't know. It doesn't really mean anything. And I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything in the division, but it doesn't mean automatically a guy's a number one contender or something like that. I think it's going to be an exciting fight, but um, I also wonder, too, I mean, Yair Rodriguez, this guy is a phenomenal athlete and uh, well-spoken, good-looking kid, professional, everything about it. He's exciting when he fights. But I feel like, you know, his, his, uh, his layoffs and the time in between fights is cost. Is, is that what it is? Because I don't feel like Yair quite resonates here yet as like an actual star. Oh, he does. Yeah. I mean, he does. I mean, this is the, and I was hearing, I can't even remember which other uh, MMA podcast I heard this. Uh, I think something, I mean, the thing you have to look culturally to what Mexican people look for their idols. Like in the U.S., we're, we're, we're accustomed to the show of guy, uh, to the, you know, that, that rabato. Right. Look at the big stars in Mexico, like Chavez, like Canelo, like Juan Manuel Marquez. They're all soft-spoken. They're respectful. They're humble. Interesting. That's what the Mexican audience actually looks for in a hero. Yeah, it resonates with the audience. Uh, the, I think that all the tickets they've sold, which, I mean, the show is doing good, are because of Yair. And we'll see what happens. That's interesting, man. I talked to him earlier this week, and uh, you know, he was he was kind of soft spoken. He was kind of reserved, and I didn't he is, know if he it was is like that. And he's I think always, he's always like, like that. but yeah. I felt even more so. And I didn't know if maybe it was just a product of him being so like overworked and 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 doing having like so many. I mean, he spent like three hours at ESPN or whatever. You know, I think it's probably that. I mean, he doesn't like those responsibilities. I mean, I I, I get it. It's it's way too much for him sometimes. Uh, I think the the UFC sometimes uh, pushes someone to carry the market uh, alone. It happens with Eric Perez. It happened with uh, Fabrizio Verdum. It happened with those guys. Uh, and Yair is not that kind of guy. I mean, I think that if if you have to worry about something with Yair, is that he hasn't really had a, a stable camp in the last two years. That for the three fights he signed them after the Frankie Edgar fight, uh, the Sabit, which he got injured, sure. the Korean Zombie, and this fight, the team has changed around him. I mean, he's in this place like he's kind of doing a boxing camp where he picks coaches, picks a spot, and then goes straight. He trained like a, in a very representative place for fighters here. in Mexico, which is the Centro Ceremonialo to me, outside of Mexico City near Toluca, 3,300 meters of altitude, which is like a thousand more than. In Mexico City, where Marquez, Chavez, and all those guys used to do the... If you're a boxing fan, Carlos Cuadras is doing a, a two-month camp right now at Centro Ceremonial. To me, wow. so for the Mexican fan, that's like really resonating. That's all, all, all of my idols trained at Centro Ceremonial to me, and now Yair is training there. So I think you have to be like a little more culturally aware Interesting. of what uh, uh, those countries need in an idol. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I, I do feel like, I mean, I think everybody realizes Yair's talent. I mean, you yeah. can't not recognize it. But it is weird. He doesn't really factor into the rankings. I mean, nobody's talking about him as a real contender. But when he goes out there, he's exciting. I don't know what it's going to take for him to get that level. And I, I, I wonder if it's just fight more consistently, basically. Basically, because you see what the UFC is suffering to him. I mean, even with the difficulties they've had, they offered him Savit, they offered him Jose Aldo, and they offered him uh, Brian Ortega was in talks to maybe fight Yair here. So you see how the UFC looks at Yair. Like they're looking at him still with yep. everything that's going around as an exciting fighter, as a top five fighter, 
a safari that might be able to, to challenge for the championship at any point in his career. And this is a defining moment for him. This is a, a very different... I mean, he, he got the Korean zombie fight. He did like that improvisation, which oh. makes people go crazy with Yair because that's it. And he tells, you know, I train, I train, I train, and then go in there and just let it flow. And those things happen. That is incredible. You know, so the UFC still, I, I think with the matches they try to give him, they still consider him a, a top fighter. How about Jeremy Stevens? How's the market reacting to him? I mean, uh, as we said, we know he's going to come in and fight. You know, maybe not recognized as a contender or champion or anything like that, but we know he's going to put on an exciting fight. He is embracing uh, his Mexican ties, right? He, you know, he's saying, hey, listen, I got, a, I got a Mexican wife at home. I got a Mexican kid at home. I'm trying to get a paycheck for them. And he spent like a month down here getting ready. People forget that in 2014 when we fought Cub Swanson, he went to the weigh-ins with the Mexican national team shirt. Oh, that's right. This I forgot not about that. This yep. is not new. Yep. The thing, oh, I'm Mexican. Oh, yeah, you're fighting in Mexico. You're Mexican. This is not new, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, he had a good deal. There's a, a, a gym in, in Tijuana called Entram Gym, which is basically the best gym in Mexico because that's the gym that has the most UFC fighters uh, in, in Mexico. They have four fighters here this weekend. Uh, Teco Quiñones, Polo Reyes, Martin Bravo, and Brandon Moreno. And they have a, a, a deal between the trainers, Raul Arbizu and Eric Del Fierro, and the guys from Entran can go and train in Alliance MMA, right. which is where Jeremy connected. Jeremy has been aspiring with some of those guys for four or five years now also. And Teco, which hails from Zacatecas, got them a house, talked with the government, they got a good gym. So that's where they, that's why they all got there. Maybe you could touch on that because Danny Segura was here earlier. He just stepped out, but he was telling me, and I, I didn't realize that, that the government, and you just touched yeah. on it there, was involved in the sponsorship of this kind of super camp that, like you said, Stevens was there, Angela Hill was there. You know, they had this crew. Um, what do you know about that? And what does that say that if the government's get involved, that's got to be a positive, right? It's a local government. It's the government of Zacatecas, Zacatecas. Teco Quiñones from Zacatecas. He's starting doing his own MMA uh, he started his own MMA promotion like a couple of years ago. They had a couple of shows in Zacatecas. They recognized him as a famous athlete from the UFC, hailing from Zacatecas. Zacatecas isn't really well known for having sports uh, persons in, in in Mexico. They got a good deal, and he said, oh, hey, we need an altitude training. Zacatecas, the altitude is basically a little more than Mexico City. Right. And that the, the the I think that you call it a mayor in in the U.S. Right. Presidente municipal in, in in Mexico said, hey, we have a house. We can give you a house. How many people are going to be there? Uh, we can give you space in a, in a gym. Teco's original team is in Zacatecas, so those guys uh, moved the cage to the new facility, got the mats going, and they were there for six weeks. You know, there's seven fighters that were in, the, in that camp. It's the four interim fighters. And also Jeremy Stevens, Yara Umax, Andrew Hill. And then you got a lot of fighters from Entram and from uh, Alliance helping here in Mexico City. Eric Del Fierro spent a, a bunch of time here in Mexico. Gaston Reino. So yeah, they got a little, like, there were like 15 fighters. That's pretty cool, house, man. man. That's pretty cool. But before, all right, well, let's just sum up the main event. And we know kind of what the stakes are. I mean, uh, as you said, this could be a defining moment for Yair, right? I mean, this is a, a big moment. I you know, I asked him about, hey, do you feel like this is the moment you kind of start carrying the flag for Mexican MMA? And he doesn't like to talk about that. You know, he said, listen, that's up to all of us. You know, we pointed to Grasso and Aldana and Moreno and everybody else said, no, we're all going to do this. But um, as far as the fight itself, the X's and O's, listen, speaking of Jeremy, I mean, I know he's always fired up. Well, he seems extra fired up this week, and that dude is dangerous. And he's saying, look, I want to go out there, and I don't want to just win. I want to embarrass him out there. Um, break it down as far as just the analysis. Are, are you worried about this fight for Yair? I mean, of course, it's a dangerous guy, or do you feel like Yair's too much for Stevens? No, I don't know if he's too much for Stevens. I think I'm worried about Jeremy because he's so fired up. Right. 
I I don't I can't remember the last time I saw a fighter that fired up that actually did good in the fight. True. You know, though, those don't feelings, those that heat, it carries you way over the line when when you're fighting. Well, he's emotional because yeah, you gave an interview to an outlet here in Mexico before the the start of the of the sale of the tickets, where he said, "I didn't want to fight Jeremy." Right. He had a good point. I mean, his point is, I wanted Savit, I, I wanted Jose, I wanted Brian, I wanted a fighter that was difficult and that would give me a, a spot up the rankings. Jeremy's as difficult as as them. But if I win, he's coming off two losses. What what does that give me? I don't me? get the respect. Uh, yeah, for the analysts, for the hardcore, oh, motherfucker, if you beat Jeremy Stevens, you're going to be the king. Right. Okay, you're back. You're good. You're a top five. We see it. For the casual fan, they say, hey, you beat a guy who's got two losses. That was his point. And he was kind of right. I don't know if it was good the way he expressed it. But it was kind of right, and that's what got Jeremy upset and and really fired up. No question, he he is fired up. Would uh would Yair and Ortega have done twenty thousand seats? Yeah, yeah, he's that big a star people, already. People like Brian here in Mexico City. That's in awesome. Mexico, people really like Brian. Uh, obviously, the the Max Holloway fight kind of brought the stock down, but we saw the traffic, man, for Brian Ortega, Max Holloway. People in Mexico City, Brian is gonna be probably at the fight. Yep. You'll see him when you flash when they flash Brian on the screen. It's gonna like, be big. I don't know if Keynes is staying for the fight. Henry and Brian Ortega are probably staying for the fight. Masvidal, I don't know if he's staying for the fight. I don't know if he supposedly is coming to Mexico City. I don't know if he's going to eventually come or not. When they flash them on the screen, you'll see, I can bet that Brian Ortega will get a bigger reaction than Henry Segudo. Wow. That'll be amazing. All right, what, one last thing that's made of it. What would be the ideal scenario? Would it be, we know, we know that the Mexicans love a scrap, so would the ideal scenario be, a back-and-forth battle that Yair eventually, you know, kind of like a, a zombie fight, you know, where it's just an amazing fight and wins, or would it be some kind of domination? What, what would be best? The ideal scenario for the Mexican fan, where I think they, they would go crazy, they already, when they see Yair, they want to see a crazy knockout. They want to see the feeling knockout. They want to see the Korean zombie. Like, the Mexican fan would be happy if Yair goes in and in like 30 seconds just starts Jeremy with a flying knee or something. I don't see it that quick. I don't see a quick fight on, on Saturday. I think those guys are way too uh, prepared and study each other to get a, someone get a quick knockout. But for the fun, I, I think if you poll the people in the arena, they'll probably tell you, hey, I want a 30-second knockout. All right. Well, we mentioned a very fired-up Jeremy Stevens, and I think no better way to uh, witness that or at least hear that firsthand than to hear my interview with him from yesterday morning. Sat down with Jeremy for a little bit for a, a, a quick one-on-one. And by the way, Jeremy Stevens – Sponsored by Manscaped.com. That's right. If you go to the video of it, you can see he's sporting the uh, Manscaped gear. So, a fellow Manscaped uh, supporter there, or supported by Manscaped. Don't forget, 20% off and free shipping with the code ROAD, R-O-A-D, at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use code ROAD. Come on, just do it. they got good products, I promise. And while you're doing that, get one browser open. Order up your Manscaped gear, and the other, listen to this, Jeremy Stevens. You've been doing this for a long time, but back in the main event in Mexico City, you know it's a fight town. You're facing the hometown guy. I mean, g- give me the, the feeling, the emotion coming into this one. It's just an honor, uh, let alone to be fighting in uh, Mexico. You know, I have, I have roots here. You know, my daughters are Mexican. My wife's Mexican. Uh, I love Mexican food. Uh, you know, I love the people, most of all. You know, I've been down here for five and a half, six weeks here in Zacatecas and never been embraced like the way that I have. And it's just, uh, I feel right here at home, man. Is it a little bit of a false sense of security, I wonder? Because I mean, knowing that Mexican culture that you have and the ties to it, 
and even the support that you're getting, you got to know on Saturday night, man, they're going to be booing you and they're going to be going for you year, right? Who knows? I don't put I don't put no limiting beliefs on everything. You know, I've, I've been turning heads since I was 16 years old about people. Uh, you know, I've, I've been told they're going to kill me in uh, Brazil, and then I end up killing their boys. So uh, I'm going to be turning heads, man. I, I feel like I got a lot of fans here. I, I have a lot of Mexican fans. I have Mexican roots. Uh, Pedro is, uh, you know, if this country's not going to save him, bro. <laughs> it's not. You know, he's a, he's a kid. He's a chamaco, and I'm a man. You know, I fight like a man. I don't run. You know, and I'm here to whoop his ass. I'm here to embarrass him, and I'll point him and just whoop him every single step of the way. You were on quite the run, man. Then you had the setbacks, but you're talking about fighting against, you know, the best of the best. Tell me, tell me what you took out of those fights. What, what lessons did you take out of them? Lessons is, is that no one's ever taken the dog out of me. No one's ever just whooped my ass, tossed me around. You know, uh, I've lost these little split decisions that could have went my way. You know, I'm, I'm losing these little technical battles. And what do I do? I go and train with uh, Tony Ferguson. And you know, I started learning some footwork. I learned some fancy, fancy shit. I learned an incredible amount of stuff with him. So I'm always changing and always adapting. You gotta ask yourself, how does a kid coming up from 21 years old used to be a brawler, but yet I have multiple knockouts on my limbs. I continue to come back and get better and better and better. And I put you in fucking highlight fashion, real knockouts, bro. Too hot for TV type shit. And I embarrass people. And that's what I plan on doing Saturday night. Ain't nothing gonna be different. What's a workout like with Tony Ferguson? Do you do that crazy stuff he's doing, or did you, or did you draw the line and say, hold on, man, let's keep this a little more normal? Ask, uh, ask my buddy back there, bro. He goes, man, I think you found your brother in life, man. And it was, uh, it was, a, great, it was a great moment because I actually do work out the, the same type of way. And I always known that we were kind of similar in a lot of sense. So uh, we train about six, six and a half hours out of the day straight, just putting in fucking work. And then, uh, and then we know, we, we chill out, watch Rocky IV, and then boom, go run around like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And just, uh, I loved it. It was, it, it was an incredible experience, and I can't wait to go back and help him out for uh, his upcoming fight. So uh, we made a brotherhood, and it's been great. I learned a lot from him. That's awesome, man. All right, well, you talked about the setbacks, but now you're back in the main event, right? Before the setbacks, 2-0, pretty fantastic main event appearances. I mean, yeah. is there something a little special, a little extra edge when you're when you're the guy? Yeah, it's five rounds. These guys can't run from me and, and squeeze out a little uh, decisions in three rounds. The beat was looking up uh, at the clock, gasping for air. If he didn't hit me in the nuts in the first round so damn hard, I would have kept going and put the pressure on him. I was breaking that kid, you know, and I feel like he has a lot more pop on his stuff uh, and he's a better wrestler. Yair can't fucking wrestle for shit. He's in trouble. I'm gonna slam him on his head and I'm gonna cut him open. He thinks Frank Yetter swallows I wait till I cut him open. I've been in one of those bloodiest fights in history. You know, I just keep setting records. I keep continuing to get better and it's gonna be my time come Saturday night. You said it, man. You've been down here for like a month at this point, man. And I wonder, you know, the altitude, you gotta adjust for the altitude, but it seems like to me, you're soaking in more than just the, the altitude, right? I mean, am, am I wrong in saying that like you didn't just get used yeah. to altitude? It feels like this was like a special camp for you. Yeah, I wanted to put myself amongst the people. You know, I've been fighting for, what, 12 years in the UFC, 17 years in the game. I've been fighting since I was 16. Everything I have is from my hands, you know, and I did most of my camps at home where I'm comfortable in my jacuzzi and my swimming pool and around my family and my beautiful wife cooking me all the delicious meals. Uh, coming out here, I wanted to put myself amongst the people and embrace the culture. You know, I, not only did I get uh, blessings, I've been to Tame Scals, I've been uh, running the mountains in La Bufa. You know, I really surrounded myself uh, uh, amongst the people and put myself in the culture. I love it here. This isn't my first time here in Mexico. I continue to spend my money here and support the people. 
And uh, you know, it's humbling walking around. You know, you go walk around, you see people cleaning the streets, you see people asking for money, you know, but what, you, what, what people really don't see that you get is just the love people have, you know, not just for fighting, but the love and the passion and the hard work and the dedication that these people portray. This is a beautiful country. I'm excited to be here. And like I said, I feel right at home. So it's crazy for me because at this point in your career, man, as long as you've been doing this, as much as you've been through, I mean, are you still like learning and developing and, 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 and getting like new highs, I guess, and new, new motivations? Yeah, this is like I said, this was a new experience. I wanted to come down here. It took Yair a week and a half to even sign the contract, you know, and you know him about them contracts, boy. He's always duck, dodge, dip, duck and dipping and dodging again. You know, and uh, they told him, you know, I, I immediately accepted it. I wanted to be in the altitude. I wanted to come down here. I know the type of fans and everything they bring. And it's a, it's a new journey. It's a new experience. And I embrace it, man. You know, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying every minute. I'm relaxed, cool as a cucumber. And uh, I can't wait to go put his uh, brains in the canvas Saturday night. I know you're kind of a, an old school hardcore fighter. He seems like this kind of new generation. He's fancy. He's got you what know. What is that? What is, what is new generation, bro? What are you gonna show me that I haven't seen or Bruce Lee hasn't shown on a movie? Like what? What the fuck are you gonna show me that's that's new? I just fought a guy just like you who's better than you, and that you were afraid to fight. And ask yourself how I was I was breaking him. That boy's in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like he's got to think about damn. I just went. I'm going up against a a, a guy who who just, I backed out of a fight from, and this guy put a pace on him and was whooping his ass, and I won the first and the third. If you beg to differ, just go back, he just, he weaseled out the first round by doing some flashy shit. And I was putting knuckles to his head, and now this kid's gotta go five rounds with me? Like, what are you gonna show me that's, that's new? Bro, I've been in there with better guys than you. You know, you're a kid, bro, you can't even fucking wrestle. <laughs> Wait till I get a hold of you, man, you're in trouble. In trouble. I love it, man. We touched on it there. Well, what, what does this fight mean to you, man? I mean, it's obvious what it means to you in terms of, like this moment and you know this opportunity. I mean, are you thinking about rankings? Are you thinking about titles? Are you thinking about anything like that? I don't think about any of that shit, bro. The only thing I think about is just putting knuckles in this dude's heads and plumasos in his chest and going home and taking care of my Mexican family back home with a lot of money in my pocket. That's I got what I think about, bro. I ain't worried about none of that bullshit. I'm here to kill him, bro. I'm here to win. I was gonna say, I, I think I've got an understanding of, of how this goes, but you know, when you play this thing out in your mind, what, what type of fight is this? Is this some kind of back and forth, you know, battle that brings people to their feet, or, or, or are you going in there and doing something vicious? I'm out, I'm gonna outsmart them. You know, people think like um things. You're, you're gonna see a, a different Jeremy Stevens. I always have viciousness in me. I can even slow my punches down a little bit, and I'm still gonna knock you out. You know, I'm gonna outsmart this kid. I'm gonna embarrass him. I'm gonna outpoint him. I'm gonna be in there every step of the way. And if I'm landing on you, you're gonna be wearing it, bro. You know, like what? What does he got? A spin kick, some kicks, bro. You think you don't think Cerrone ain't kicked me? You don't think Pettis ain't kicked me? You don't think uh, uh, Sam Stout ain't kicked me or throwing some shit? It's a beat, bro. I walked through everything he had and I put the pressure on. He was looking up and gasping for air. I got five rounds to destroy you. That's exactly what I'm gonna do. Fuck, fuck knocking him out in the first. Fuck knocking him out in the fourth. I wanna whoop this kid's ass so bad that he's gonna be begging to get off the fucking stool and go home. You know, I want to embarrass him. All right, well, look, it's going to be a, a fun main event. There's no question about it. But uh, listen, Rodrigo, I noticed, and I'll be honest, I didn't notice it till this week, and we've kind of talked about it earlier today, but 
this is actually a pretty big card in terms of what it means to the Mexican market. I mean, at media day today, it was kind of cool after they did the face-offs, right? They brought up and what, had seven fighters up there, you know, all hailing from the Mexican market. And, you know, I didn't really, I don't think, notice, I mean, listen, there's a lot of there's a lot of fights going on, right? I mean, we're going from town to town, but from a Mexican perspective, man, this this is good. And the co-main event, one of those fights right there, Carlos Barza versus Alexa Grasso. Um, I feel like this is a huge moment for Alexa Grasso. I mean, she's somebody that I think we've all had our eye on for a long time. I mean, her skills were evident in Invicta, but she was still so young and so developing. But that last performance she had, man, I feel like she's really kind of reaching a new level, and she's ready to come into her own. Um, and here she gets a former champion. You know, I mean, yes, I know a lot of people, you know, will point out it wasn't the longest title run of all time <laughs> and that sort of thing. But it doesn't matter. Carlos Spires is a, is a former UFC champion and somebody that's been around the game for a long time. I think this is a big moment for Alexa Grasso. How, how, you know, what are you feeling about this fight? Yeah, it's a couple of things there. I mean, like there is something to be said about what the UFC level is right now where the line for a UFC show is now about how many events we're going to get in a year. We're going to get 41, 42 this year. Right. And I do get it when someone from another country looks at a card and says, oh, that sucks. I'm not, going, I'm not watching it. This is nubs. I don't know. Fuck. You know? <laughs> but you still have to think, if you want to, like if you actually fucking care and you do your job, you have to think from for these cards from a local perspective. This, cards, this card means a lot to Mexico City. Right. You know, having seven fighters in the same card is like a... This was a dream for Mexico like three or four years ago. Yeah, you couldn't even do it if you wanted to. Yeah, having four top ten fighters. Like, yeah, the, the rankings in the UFC are shit. <laughs> I'm not going to be – I'm not going to color it. They suck. Right. They're shit, you know. I'm saying it. Not UFC today, no MMA junkie, not John Morgan. <laughs> Me, Rodrigo del Campo, the rankings are shit. But having four John top Morgan ten – John Morgan say they're lacking slightly. They're lacking slightly. There's <laughs> – a supervision and revisions to be made yeah. in the process of voting in these rankings, but they're shit. But you have four top 10 Mexican-born, raised, and trained fighters. That's big. Because these four fighters aren't even training in the U.S. You know, they're not like Eric Perez, who used to train at Jackson's, now at Alliance. Right. You know, Brandon trains exclusively in Tijuana. He doesn't go into Alliance MMA. Entram Gym. Alexa and Irene train at Lobo Gym in Guadalajara. Yair did his whole training camp in Mexico with Pedro Camberos, a Mexican coach. So this is big for the region. There's no Hispanic-American country right now that can put four fighters trained in their own country in the top 10 of any UFC division. Yeah, that's true. So that's what it means to the country. You know, it's like, oh, okay, we have four top 10. I don't know if they're going to win, if they're going to lose. The seven of them have top fights. The Carlos Parce is obviously the top fight. They know after the Tatiana Suarez fight that this is the fight. Right. It's a good opportunity for uh, Alexa. Alexa was a fan of Invicta before signing to Invicta. So when he, when she sees Carla, yeah, she sees a UFC champion. But she sees the champion of the division she signed to on Invicta. She's seen the Invicta belt That's there. awesome. So for her, it's like a lot of history, a lot of nostalgia. That's cool. And they knew when they fought, uh, when they beat Carolina and the way they, they, they beat her, like they sat down and they knew we're going to get tough fights for now. Every single fight. That's true. And this, you know, I, I, stylistically, this is a tough fight for her. There's no question about it. No, right? especially with this new uh, uh, Carla striking. Oh, my god. The goodness. Cynthia Calvillo fight. Yeah, no. Uh, he, she went on, on that losing streak after the Calvillo fight. Rebounded against Virna Yandirova. But that fight with Cynthia Calvillo, when there was 50 minutes of stand-up, yep. where, uh, like we saw it. Carla is doing that. Yep. So now Carla can strike, she can kick, and she can obviously wrestle Alexa. That's not news. 
I feel kind of bad for Carla Esparza because she does have some Mexican heritage. So it's like you She's know, Mexican and Ecuadorian, so right? So it's cool yeah. of her to come down here, but like, ah, sorry, you get the hometown girl. So no, and in the media, they, like I get it, they, they do it like red corner and blue corner. And unfortunately for Carla, they had six Mexican fighters at the same time. No one's going to talk to Carla. Like, I'm sorry, I couldn't get to Carla. Right. You know that is kind of sad. Yeah. She didn't get the attention she deserved. All right. Uh, one last thing on Grasso. Um, like her English is phenomenal. Yeah. It's so good. And I think that's great. I mean, listen, and I'll say this out of respect. I'm, it's, I'm not one of those people that says, hey, you need to learn our language. I'm not that guy. I'm not. Okay, listen, if anything, we need to learn your language. I mean, I'm raising my son to be bilingual, obviously. Uh, but it's just cool. I think it's awesome when people do take I mean, English is obviously the most predominant language of the UFC. I mean, it's the biggest market, that sort of thing. I think it's cool, man. I mean, she's been slowly working on it, but it's good. I interviewed her this week. It's, it's flawless it's now. Rare. Yeah. You should, you should speak English. If you're fighting the UFC and if you have the, the money and the time to speak English, you should speak English. Yeah. Obviously, in a lot of situations, maybe they don't have money, they don't have the time. Like, I get it. We should try. You, you should try to speak English if you're in the U.S. I dig it. Well, listen, I feel like this is a big moment for Grasso. I do feel like it's a very, very tough test. So can, can you put your Mexican bias aside and just as a, as you know, evaluation, I mean, do you think she's got what it takes to win this fight or do you think this is, this is too much right now? If she can stop half of what Carla's going to try to do wrestling, she can win. I agree. That's good. It's all um, going to boil down to She's that. been training with a, a, a good Brazilian fighter who trains in Mexico, uh, Alessandro Costa. Kind of built. He, he's at 125. Who could probably fight at 115. He's a really small guy. Kind of built like Carla with a good with good wrestling, good BJJ. That's what they've been training. But you know, they train a lot for the Tatiana fight, and we saw what happened. So that was tough, man. Yeah, Tatiana was, was a hard, bad match. I, hard, I, and I'm I'm high on Grasso, but I I'm, I really believe Tatiana. Like I know a, a lot champ. of people are in love with Weili Shang and with Jessica. When Tatiana gets a crack at that belt, people do not know what two. Uh, uh, wrestling world medals mean. I agree. She's going to be, when she gets that belt, she's going to be a champ for a long time. She's going to be a problem, yep. man. She's going to be a problem. All right, uh, Brandon Moreno, you mentioned his name coming back, man. It's so good to see him back. I mean, I uh, talked to him this week, and, and he didn't seem to have a chip on his shoulder about being released. I mean, I know he wants to prove that they were wrong when he gets back, but he seemed to understand it was business. But I never thought they should have got rid of him. I think he's a great fighter, and he's a wonderful personality. And let me just say, I think he was getting as much media as anybody else today, man. I think he had a lot of people around him. I had to wait in line. Uh, he's fighting Askar Askarov, this this newcomer, you know, this undefeated Russian fighter at ACB. Um, we didn't get to talk to him. Now, I, I will excuse the PR team for this. Uh, for a lot of people who don't know, <laughs> yeah. Askar Askarov is deaf, okay? Mm-hmm. So that creates an issue right there. You've got to have, you know, some kind of, like, sign language, I imagine, interpreter or whatever. If then, he speaks sign language, because we I, don't know if I he signs. Even, yeah, I've never, I don't yeah. know if he signs. And then, But then they didn't have a, a Russian to Spanish to English, you know, translator or whatever. So, uh yeah, I, we didn't get to speak to him, and I was bummed because I did kind of want to learn more about him. I'll be honest, I've seen his highlights, That's but it, I, don't, yeah. Yeah, I don't know anything about the guy. I, mean, I don't think there's a lot of interviews out there, a lot of things that you can glean from. So as you said, I don't even know if he signs, and I know he's deaf, but I wasn't sure. So I'm going to excuse the PR team for not having somebody there, but I was a little bit bummed just to kind of size him up a little bit. There's <laughs> something different when you see somebody in person. You know, yeah. It's a little different than seeing him on TV. I kind of wanted to get a feel for his body type, his size, and find more about his story. Um, Give me your thoughts on this fight because I think I think Brandon Moreno absolutely deserves to be in the UFC and I'm happy he's back, but he is sure as hell not getting a, a you know a welcome mat on the way back in. Look, the UFC can move around and tell whatever they want to tell. Brandon was one of the the recipients of the call that said, "Hey, we're cutting the 125 division. We're gonna let you go." Yep. Fighters were told the division was done. Whatever the UFC says, fighters were told the 125 division was done. Brandon understood it, man. He, he had a plan to go to 135. And then when they saw that the division was kind of rebounding, that's when they got the LFA fight. 
it, it, he doesn't have a chip about being caught. He understood. Lost two in a row. They're taking. They're leaving the division. Okay, fine. Uh, he was kind of upset that it took them so long to cut him, where he right. couldn't fight for a while because yep. uh, uh, he fought in May and then he was cut in December. That's not right. That's like the the thing he didn't like. He won the other fight, and now you talk to him and he even says, "Hey, you're the number nine in the rankings. I'm not ranked. I shouldn't be ranked. I'm just back. Like, thank you. I shouldn't be ranked. I think they understand this is one of the toughest fights in his career." They understand that it's going to be difficult because people do not know Askar. They maybe don't know how hard he is, how tough he is. And he's putting that aside, you know? Yeah. He's just focusing on the fight, trying to get a good fight, a good result, and then trying to get you know, into the cadence of the, of the new flyweight division. Oh, that is such a tough assignment, right? Because if Brandon Moreno comes out and wins this, the hardcores are all going to go, wow, that was pretty impressive. But to everybody, the to yeah, yeah, he beat a Russian guy. What? <laughs> What's that? That is a tough assignment, man. That's, uh, that's, that's I, tough. I'm glad to see him back, and I'm glad to see the flyweight division sticking around. And uh, I talked to Sergio Pettis this week. You know, he actually said he gave praise to Henry Cejudo. He's, he said, Henry Cejudo saved the division, man. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe you're giving the treat. He was like, much love to the triple C. <laughs> uh, all right, listen, Arena Aldana versus Vanessa Mello. Of course, Arena Aldana, I, I couldn't believe she's never fought in Mexico City before. They had, like, two small fights on the Grand Prix, like, a long time right. ago. They're, I mean, she's from Culiacán. Uh, she started training in Guadalajara, so they, they kind of focused fighting there, and then went to Invicta. He had, he, she didn't really have many fights. Right. No, when she, she came to Invicta, like, he had like three fights in Mexico, went to fight in jungle fight against uh, Larissa Pacheco, and then got signed to Invicta off that Larissa Pacheco fight. I mean, Julie Ketsi wanted to sign both Larissa and Irene. Larissa had already signed with the UFC, signed Irene, and through Irene discovered Alexa. Invicta didn't know about Alexa. Through Irene, they said, Hey, you know, my team is, she also fights, she's also good, and they got signed. Uh, and she hadn't fought with uh, Alexa and the same kind of thing since 2015. That's crazy. In Invicta, you know, so that's kind of really motivator. Like, I don't know, like maybe for the hardcore or whatever, but this is the fight that the MMA gods do not want us to see. The second time that Marion Renault right. and Irene Aldana has been signed, Irene got uh, injured the first time, and Marion then signed with the UFC, never uh, never fought in, in Invicta. Now Marion is out. And they know, like, they, they've seen Vanessa Melo. They think that she's going to try to take Irene's head off in the first few rounds. They know the altitude is going to eventually get to her. Yeah. And that's also, like, the difficult assignment. They know because this is a fight. I think they're conscious that this is a fight they could lose, that Vanessa is a tough girl with hard punches yep. and that has absolutely nothing to lose. That's right. Coming in on short notice, nothing to lose whatsoever, making her debut. I did see, I mean, there's a big size difference between them. That's for sure. Aldana, a, a much taller opponent. I think yeah. she's got, I mean, Aldana, you can't not be a fan of, like Aldana and Grasso, I mean, I hate to group them together, but you can't be a fan of one and not the other. I mean, they have such a similar style. Yeah. It's obvious, you know, they come out of the same camp. Great striking. I think Aldana, you know, as you said, I, I would think she'd want to stick and move and jab and kick from range and, 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 and maybe tire Melo out. Yeah, and, and just then, wait out the, like the first 90 seconds yeah. to see what's going on. And, yeah, when you see Alexa, when you see it in it, they're a true 115 and a true 135. Yep. They're, they're not that big to a division where they have to consider going up, but they're a true a true bantamweight and a true strawweight. Where does their popularity stand in Mexico? Are they stars? Good. Yeah, they're stars. I mean – there's no MMA stars really in Mexico. Right. I mean, you, we have to clear it up. Are there really MMA stars in the U.S.? Like, yeah, maybe Conor and Habib. Fair. You know? Fair. So, I mean, in the MMA circles, in the people that like MMA, yeah, they're big. Yeah, it's not yeah, like they're, they're mainstream. Yeah. They're, they're not soccer. Right. I mean. That's what it takes. Th that's it. 
This is a big moment for Arena too, man. I want I want to see her do well. I I, I almost feel like because it's funny, as you said, Aldana was kind of the entry for Grasso. I feel like at this point, it's the other way around. It's the right? other way yeah. around. Like I mean, certainly it's easy to say that when you look at the card, Grasso's the co-main event, Aldana's a little lower down the main card. But I really do feel that way. Whereas when they were both in Invicta, I was like, they're both they're both contenders. I still feel Aldana's got a lot it of kinda, skill. It kind of flips sometimes. But yeah, yeah, I feel like Grasso, like she's becoming almost like the one that you, you, you're a little higher on. Yeah, and the, the Raquel Pennington really affected the, the Raquel Pennington fight really affected it, and uh, they had a problem with the recovery after the weight cut. Uh, they, she started feeling like her legs being weird after the recovery and fight day, and they thought it was nerves. Oh, it's just nerves. It's just nerves. It's just nerves. And then during the fight, like her legs went dead. Yeah. And then when they sat with the George Locker team, they saw something in the recovery, and then she had her period doing the weight cut. Something in there really didn't stick when she was recovering, and it was that they're really paying attention to the recovery this time uh, for this fight because she know I mean, it's, it's, it's three weight cuts in a really short time for her. Yeah, really short time. All right, rounding out the main card, Martin Bravo. Martin Bravo. Martin Bravo. <laughs> Martin Bravo Martin versus... Martin El yeah, Toro Bravo. Not, <laughs> since we're here, let's give it the accident, you know. Versus Steven Peterson. Steven Peterson, a guy that comes from uh, the Texas local scene, you know, Fortis MMA guy who hasn't had the best record necessarily in the UFC, but it's come to bring it every time. She's from, he's from Fortis. Absolutely. He's a good guy. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a crew right if there. If you're from Fortis MMA, you're a good fighter. That's it. Talk to me about this fight because uh, kind of a, I feel like a must win for both these guys. I'm surprised they're so up the card, you know? I thought that slot was going to go to Sergio Perez, whoever he fought. Right. Be it Alex or be it Tyson Nam. I thought, and, and I think Martin kind of knows. You know, he's, He told me one day, I think I'm way too high on the card, don't you think? <laughs> he told you that? He's super honest. <laughs> he's a good kid from Playas de Rosarito, Baja California. He's super honest. They know. Like, they know the Martin fight and the Polo Reyes fight, both teammates. They know they have to win. They know if they lose, they're gone. Like, there's no... They know there's no sugar coating, and I think for both fighters on both those fights, it's a must win or they're gone. Yeah, uh, Martin hasn't fought in a while. He got a good fight against Cáceres, couldn't get the decision, I couldn't get going in the last round, which I think cost, cost him the fight. But then spent another year not fighting. I think that's kind of what has gotten to Martin. We'll see. I mean, he had a really high moment here in Mexico City, knocking out Claudio Puelles. Yep. And then he had a really bad moment getting knocked out from for Humberto Bandenay in, in Mexico City, That too. was rough. Yeah. That was rough. Yeah, I think that's going to be a banger. It should be a good way to open up the main card. I mean, I guess, I guess if, if you're looking at it from that perspective, as far yeah, as, like, let's just put there, something right? entertaining. Because yeah, exactly. you are right. It is weird to me that Sergio Pettis really kind of... Really down on the card. Really low. I, yeah. I'm even... Listen, I'm even surprised that Bech Cohea and Sajara Eubanks are, are that far down the card yeah. as they are. I mean, I get it. Like, that neither one of them have the greatest record of all time. But Sajar, you know, tough finalist. Betch Gohea, former title challenger, like way down on the car. So anyway, I'm a little interested with that. Uh, the Sergio one really stands out to me. Um, what should we know? I, want, you know? I know you got to get back to your other job, but uh, the, other, <laughs> the, 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 the prelims, uh, Teco, uh, Marco Polo, I mean, any, one of those guys stand out to you more than yeah, the other? Yeah, Te- Teco's probably going to get, uh, behind Yair, he's going to get the biggest pop in the arena. He's the fighter that people in Mexico really identify with. Again, we were talking about it just right now. You know, people in Mexico, when you see the idols Mexico has had, there have been men of men and women of the people. You know, they're not really braggadocious. They're not big. They're not dignous. They're humble people, you know, and they see Teco like that, you know. They see a guy that's connected real to the, to the street culture, and they call themselves Malia, which Malia is kind of like a thug without being a thug, you know. You're not a criminal. We're kind of out there in the street. And people really do identify with, with Teco a lot. He seems like a character. I wish he spoke some he's English because he just not, seems like a character. He, we told him, like, his team and us journalists, <laughs> do, 
dude, you gotta learn English. You gotta learn English. He's never gonna learn English. I know he's never gonna learn English. And that's one of the cultural things you have to look at it. For Latin America, that's probably the biggest fight on the card. Because the Mexico-Peru rivalry, when you look at the results, it's not really a rivalry when you look how many Peruvian fighters in the UFC, how many Mexican fighters have been in the UFC, etc., etc. But the heat after the Horacio Gutierrez-Enrique Barzola fight in Monterrey uh, that has generated between Mexicans and Peruvians, that's a really, really, really hot fight for Latin America. It should be an action fight. And Polo, I, I want to see Paul, Marco Polo. You call him Marco Polo everywhere in Mexico. Calls him just Polo. <laughs> uh, I, I want to see him on the way. And I mean, he looks really good going down to 145. Some on Wednesday, some on Thursday. He looks good. He really looks good. I think he's going to make the weight without a problem. Talk to his coach today. And he's, he says, yeah, I mean, he has to cut weight the way, the way everybody else cuts weight which he really hasn't done in the in the past. Right. I mean, they didn't want to mess with the winning formula of having him, uh, him at lightweight, but there's a couple of fights, the last two he lost, that he's been giving up like 15 pounds on fight day when they realize, you know, if we're going to get a last chance, he should be on featherweight. And they asked the UFC to have a featherweight fight. The UFC checked like how light he was on, on the last fight on arrival and then how much he rebounded. Said, okay, I mean, he, he can cool make it. Like, like the numbers, into it. Then the numbers look like he can make it. Yeah. Okay, go, go, go to featherweight. I, I, it is always interesting. Like I said, fighting at featherweight for the first time, I always do wonder, you know, is it going to be – I mean, because it's not just necessarily a magic bullet that like, yep. Oh, no, because, you know? I mean, the thing – I don't think a lot of fighters and a lot of camps think about it. It's not only making the weight – is what you're going to do with recovery and what you're going to deal with. He might be heavier on fight day with all the rebound he's going to get because of the big weight cut. Yep. He might be heavier on fight day this Saturday than in his last fight. His last fight, I don't think he was 160. Wow. That's But crazy. when you cut so much weight, yeah. I mean, he'll rebound 15 pounds. Absolutely. That's you know? crazy. So what is uh, carrying that weight, carrying that rebound, maybe retaining a little water, feeling maybe a little slow, how he's gonna? How is he gonna deal with that? You know, there's a lot of, of things about jumping weight classes that I don't think uh, fighters and camps sometimes uh, cover. You know, no doubt. Listen, uh, I, I know you got more work to do. So, like I said, I, I said I wouldn't take much of your time. And I took good, a whole man. lot of your time, Whatever, man. I, whatever time you want to take from me, I'm good. Man. You're the no. man. You're the man. All right, listen. Uh, let's put. Let's put it. If you had to guess, how many wins does Team Mexico pick up? If I don't say seven, they're gonna kill me, John. <laughs> All right, so seven. And I gotta 0. say seven. Seven and zero, oh, Team Mexico. I gotta seven say seven. What, what are they gonna do me if I don't say seven? <laughs> I dig it, man. We'll it's get- difficult. It's, I'm sorry to, to interrupt you. It's it's some. This is these kind of cards are really difficult for us because you know we we obviously everyone's biased. You're right. never unbiased. It doesn't happen. You have a lot of baggage. Uh, these fighters, at least these seven, really understand that this is when we're working. And this is when we're friends. It happens. But I started in journalism after a career in, in other things in production in 2012. And I started following those guys when they were, they were far away from the UFC. Right. All these seven guys. They were really far from the UFC, especially Brandon, because he was so young. Uh, and I've covered them through the six and seven years from when I started to now. And it's so weird and so sad, but, but also satisfying to see them, you know, on that stage. To see right. seven Mexican fighters in a card, it's, it, 
I mean, I, I never thought it would happen, you know? And it's either either we're going out on a high or we're going out on a low. It could be 0-7. When you see the matchups, there is a distinct possibility that it could go 0-7. I mean, oh. there, there's no gimmies. It's either going to be electric in there or just dead quiet. There's no gimmies. What well, happened a couple of years ago. I mean, the four interim guys all lost. Yep, I remember that. This is the first. Th- that was the first time a Mexican camp had four fighters on the same card, and they all lost. It it can be zero and seven. There there's no gimmies on any of their fights. It's tense, man. It's tense. All right, listen. I gotta let you go because you're. Uh, I'm taking up too much of your time. But I will tell you what, I'm happy that we're back in Mexico every year now that we got a TV deal. If nothing else, then at least I know I get to sit down and get this type <laughs> of information from you, my man. Always a pleasure. Thank you, John. The one and only Rodrigo De Campo. Everyone, listen, man. I love coming down here just to get his insight, and I'm not just saying that because he's sitting here. He is the man. But we must move on because he's got more work to do. So we go from one legend of MMA to another. That's right. The one and only Cole Coffee is in the building. While I've been out here in Mexico City, he's been doing big things in Las Vegas. So, through the magic of audio editing, here's the man, Cold Coffee. Well, hello, guys. And magically, now you're in Las Vegas. Whoa, how cool. Not quite as uh, neat as being in Mexico City where... I'm always told the the stories of all the tacos and good stuff that they're eating down there. I have yet to go down there, so I have to live vicariously through uh, John's and everyone's stories of all the big taco dinners and stuff that they have down there. And the uh, I'm sure there's a few cervezas and things uh, getting thrown down. But uh, uh, thanks for joining me. I want to tell you about today. Today here in town, the PFL announced uh, a partnership that they will be doing with uh, Extreme Couture and Randy's uh, GI Foundation. It's a foundation he set up to um, help families of veterans who have been injured, um, suffering ailments, you know, whether it be a physical or mental issues that they're dealing with. Um, He saw a need um, to help out our veterans. A lot of times, you know, uh, veterans and going to the Veterans Affairs and doing with the different things to try to get the support and the help that they need. A lot of times that help doesn't come quick enough. Um, and, you know, whether it be, um, you know, things uh, like mental issues or say, uh, you know, for serious, more serious things like prosthetics, um, surgeries, um, money is just to, to help support families while they're with their loved ones who are in hospitals or in different other uh, places, um, you know, that, you know, for a long term, you know, a, a soldier might be getting treatment and their family wants to be there with them. And a lot of times they're going to stay with them and that causes undue hardship on these families. And, and the GI Foundation is helping out with some of that. Um, there's other great organizations. Um that you'll hear in this interview that uh, Randy mentions, one that I, I really, really like a lot and that I donate to, and I, I'm a big believer in it's the Fisher House Foundation. Um, it helps provide housing for the families of um, our troops and veterans who are receiving treatment um, for different issues, and it provides a home for them to stay in. And uh, think of it almost like a uh, and Randy uses the same sort of terminology here, and it's a good way of thinking, but like a Ronald McDonald house, um, you know, it's a communal space where people can go and, um, you know, stay together. But so the family's nearby. Um, a lot of times these treatments and things that the soldiers have to go through take some time. 
and um, you know it's nice that they have a place to go and it's a little bit better than just being in a hotel and it's a lot more cost effective because it's all handled for them um, so um, I was very happy to go down there um, you know I, I was raised in a military family myself so my father was in the military my mom was a civilian that worked for the military stepdads were in the military uh, both my brothers were in the military I had a grandfather that was in the military I had uncles in the military uh, you know, I always joke and say I was the only one that didn't go in the family business, at least the only boy that didn't go into the family business. So I have a, a lot of respect for those who serve and those who have served, and especially to those who uh, have given all uh, and sacrificed uh, for our country. So anytime that there's a chance that something gives back, um, you know, I'm, I'm all about it. So I was glad to, to see um, this um, partnership. And, you know, in a, in a nutshell, it's it's allowing, I think it's going to be more so, but uh, think of it, there's going to be a raffle that takes place at a lot of these events, and it's a 50-50 raffle. UFC does a lot of 50-50 raffles as well uh, for charity at some of the events. This is another one uh, along those lines where uh, the proceeds will all go to... Um, uh, the veterans' families after they, uh, they it's split with the um, you know raffle winner, but um, it's it's nice and and Randy will kind of tell you too you know his organization's doing really really good stuff. I mean he's using a lot of his staff from Extreme Couture, so they're already getting paid, and it's something that they love, so they don't mind helping out. So there's practically no overhead at all, according to him. So this all the money that's raised is going to these veterans. So. Um, hats off to him and uh, I gave him a big thanks for for what he was doing so so that's enough of me jabbering about that but it was it's always great to be able to to have a, a chance to sit and talk to uh, a hall of famer but let alone somebody that's uh, really working his butt off to give back to um, to the troops and those who make what we do in life possible um, so my utmost respect to, to him for doing that and uh, you know um, it was it was good it was moving i got a little i was a little moved today so again enough of me here is my conversation with randy and then we'll toss it back over to john so thanks guys and um i i hope you all get a chance to maybe uh look up the gi foundation and uh you know and see what they're doing and uh if there's another organization that's doing great things in your neck of the woods i encourage you to uh to do what you can to uh to help out those who uh have made it possible for us to do what we need to do. All right, y'all. Here is Randy Couture. All right, Randy. You, you talked a little bit up there about uh, the GI Foundation. I guess when you thought about starting this organization, what was the biggest thing that you noticed that was maybe lacking in the outside world that that yeah. wasn't being taken care of at that First time? Of all, in '06, I got to go to Iraq. Me and Rich Franklin went to Iraq and spent 12 days on the ground there with the guys that were actually fighting the battle, and it was a really, really interesting trip. Uh, saw a lot of things firsthand, and and then uh, the next year I got to go to Walter Reed and Bethesda. Uh, they have the Fisher House, which is their kind of version of the Ronald McDonald House, and we put on a big barbecue for the for all the caregivers and people in the Fisher House and some of the guys that were on outpatient status at that time. And uh, me, Don Fry, and, and uh, Ken Shamrock got to walk through the wards and and you know two or three floors and meet just a whole bunch of the guys fresh off the battlefield. And that's when I started hearing, oh yeah, my mom's been down here for six months as my caregiver and you know, we parked our car in the parking structure and they put a boot on it. We can't afford to get the boot off of it. You know, other guys, oh my dad's you know, my dad's been down here with me for, for nine months now. He just they just fired him and he lost his job, but he wants to be here to support me and just stories like that over and over and over again. Uh, these financial burdens these these guys are struggling 
younger while they're in that kind of extreme transition period. And, and, and you know, I was just like, we got to do something to help these guys. It's that simple. And uh, went right, right away and, and in 07 filed for the 501c3 status and we've been doing this since then. Um, and again, started right here with our gym staff. You know, they, I already pay them. They already work for me. They're, they're, you know, they're on board with the mission and, and what we're trying to accomplish already and are happy to be involved. So we have no real overhead other than what our events cost us to put on. And you know, almost who, you know, almost all of them have been successful. They're not all successful, but most of them are successful. We were on the plus side of things. We make money, and all that money goes into the hands of a soldier and, and his family. Do you have any sort of, uh, I know as it's getting bigger and as you're getting more involvement from organizations like PFL and other ones, what sort of capacity, what sort of numbers uh, of troops and veterans have you been able to reach and how many are you able to help in, in, a, in a year and how many, what is last I guess year, the goal? Uh, last year I got to sit down with 16 families and write a $10,000 check to each one of those families. Wow. This year it looks like I'm going to get to sit down with 20 families. And maybe more, depending on how October goes and this 50-50 raffle and the stuff that the PFL is getting behind. I'm scheduled to be in D.C. at Walter Reed on the 13th of November um, to, to hand out the money we've raised this last year. So um, I'm still waiting to hear exactly how many fi families we have lined up, but I suspect it's going to be in the neighborhood of 20. Uh, so, you know, excited. We just keep continuing to get traction. Things like this, the PFL getting behind us, uh, so, you know, all the other opportunities that we get to, to let people know what we're doing. Uh, you know, Tough Enough Operation Knockout this is going to be our 11th year doing that. And Tough Enough is one of the premier amateur organizations here in Vegas. And they put on a fight night, and all the proceeds from that fight night go to the foundation. You know, it's, it's really, really cool of them to do that. Uh, there's been several other people in this community that see what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish and they've just gotten on board it's been amazing I, and I love that you're helping with the Fisher House that's a that's one of the probably the only charities that I donate to because I think they do a great job and you're right that's another one where uh, you know their support for families it's another you know a lot of times we're always talking about the veterans but the families yeah. alongside are suffering and are hurting as yeah. well so I, I applaud you for doing that as well um, have you thought about, with your namespace, being in, in Hollywood and doing all these other things, have you tried to talk to Congress or lobby any of these people and, and address some of the issues that are maybe, I think it's great what you're trying to do on your yeah. own. Have you thought about trying to go you know, to talk to the people that are making the policy? We have a vet here that trains here. His name is Bruno, and Bruno has been very actively involved in the state of Nevada, getting bills passed, veteran bills passed, and things like that. I haven't really gotten involved in that. I've just been spread so thin between the Extreme Couture GI Foundation and all the stuff that we do for the MVP chapter here, uh, and then all my other regular business stuff, the PFL and, and acting and, and the business stuff that I do, I'm, I'm just spread too thin. I'm lucky to even get out to Congress to, to try and get the Ali Act amended. I mean, that's the, kind of been the extent of it. I haven't found, you know, and I feel like right now we have a very uh, veteran-aware, pro-veteran uh, administration. And, you know, he's, he's signing bills, he sees the issues, he's trying to clean up some of that stuff. And so I think that a lot of that, in at least in the last three years, in my estimation, are starting to be addressed. Um, but, you know, I still feel like there's so many, I mean, we have 50,000 guys that are homeless, that served our country. That's just disgusting to me. I, I, you know, I know there's an initiative here. They're providing houses that, for, for some of these guys, getting them off the street, getting, you know, so they're not homeless. So I think there are a bunch of us smaller ones and we're trying to link arms and make a bigger impact, but uh, you know, I, I haven't run across that thing where I'm like, damn it, I gotta, you know, I gotta go try and do something. We're, we're doing our part. 
So for the, the person that's on the fence, I think there's a lot of charities out there that are always trying to grab people's dollars. What would you say to the people that have some money that can donate something to get them off the fence to give to your organization? I think do your due diligence. Look, look at the percentage because they have to put, if, if you get a 501c3, you have to disclose. It has to be transparent. You have, you have a board and have to be accountable to that board and, and to the tax industry, you know, the IRS. Where that money go? What's that money for? So do your due diligence these days because there are organizations out there, frankly, that are taking advantage of people and not doing what they're supposed to be doing with that money. So, you know, and that's why I'm proud of the fact that literally 100% of everything that we raise goes where it's supposed to go. Our only cost is what it costs us to put on these events. So, um, to have an organization like this get behind us, I and mean, we don't really have to do anything. We're already, I'm already involved. The gym's already here. All, you know, all this stuff is already in place. So, you know, it's all it's all gravy. It's all going to help somebody. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for your time and thank you for that. And you brought up one thing I have to ask you, you know, what is going on with the whole Ali Act and and and, and the push towards that sort of things with uh, involvement in MMA and that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, HR 44 is still on, you know, still still being pushed. We're still being lobbied against pretty, pretty seriously. Um, uh, they, they've found ways to stall us. Uh, they bounced us from one committee. We were originally in the Energy and Commerce Committee, which is where the Ali Act originally was was implemented in '96 for boxers. Uh, we were with that committee. We had 60 bipartisan supporters in Congress. It looked like a no-brainer, and then they somehow got us tossed to a different education committee, and then we had to kind of start all over again. Um, you know, Mark Wayne Mullins, who was kind of spearheading the, the Republican congressman from, from Oklahoma, who's a wrestler and a fighter, uh, knows full well what those contracts look like and, and how this whole thing works out. So he was the one spearheading it, and by getting it bounced to the other committee, he's not on that committee. So now we kind of have, you know, we've got uh, Joe Kennedy is, is, you know, the Democratic side of the House. Uh, Mark Wayne is on the Republican side of the House. All of their buddies, they all see this. I mean, it's just plain as a nose on your face. And, you know, really two ways that we can affect and make some sort of change in, in the sport of MMA and get the protections that boxing has enjoyed for a while. The first is is the class action lawsuit that you know is going on and, and some of the things that are coming out now in their, in their final stages of, of registering us as a class uh, have, have been really, really interesting and, and have shed a light on, on all the shenanigans and, and the kind of the crap that's been going on with, with our fighters. The other thing that we can do as fighters is come together you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the spokesperson for the MMAFA, the Fighters Association. Every other professional sport in our country has a players association or, or an association. Why shouldn't we have that too? Why shouldn't we get to negotiate for a, our fair share of what's going on in this sport? And, and I think that the Ali Act, getting it amended, just that definition, change it from boxing to combative sports athlete, will, will in a lot of ways create that transparency, eliminate some of this. It's, it's, it's a lopsided power, uh, basically. That, Sanctioning body and the promoter shouldn't be the same guy. It's way too much power. So, uh, you know, separating some of that out, creating that transparency, that disclosure. Look, you made this much off this event that you fought on. You know, you want me to fight again? I, I should be able to negotiate a fair, my fair share of what's coming in from the events that I put my butt on the line for. So, I mean, that's basically what it boils down to and what hasn't been happening. And that's why they're lobbying so hard against us because they, you know, they have a money printing machine and they don't want to mess that money printing machine up. 
Yeah, it, it, it's got to be tough when they, they push into another committee now and it sort of sets it back. But do you have, are you guys confident? You think 2020 is the year that something happens? I, I just think that inevitably, you know, well, first of all, we're fighters. We're pit bulls. We're, we're, we've got this idea and this is going to happen. So, I mean, we're not going to let it go. And they're going to continue to lobby and spend money with lobby groups to keep us off the Senate floor and keep it from the final votes that need to happen to get it passed, to get the amendment passed. So um, I just think sooner or later, it's just too obvious. It's too, too plain to everybody that it needs to change. All right, so there you have it. Cold Coffee catching up with Randy Couture, the former UFC champion, the UFC Hall of Famer who's always involved in some type of charitable opportunity. And I know to Cold Coffee, anything that involves the, the military means a lot to him. He's a, uh, a military brat, so... Uh, good stuff there, and good stuff about the Ali Act and and uh, the MMAFA and, and the organizational efforts. I mean, the war carries on there. You know, uh, Randy has been at the forefront of uh, those battles and more for a long time. And it looks like uh, you know, even though you you, you kind of have ebbs and flows of it, it certainly it looks like Randy is is not going to back down from the fight. And of course, you know that lawsuit that's that's happening carries on. Uh, the, the, a lot going on behind the scenes with that and. We'll, we'll see how that all develops, but uh, uh, good to hear from Randy Couture, and good to hear from Cold Coffee. We'll be uh, we'll be back together next. Oh, you know what? I lied. We won't be back together next week. Uh, he is going to be in L.A. for Bellator. Big big weekend next weekend, man. Big big weekend. Um, we'll have the European crew out at the Bellator event in Dublin. Uh, we'll have our L.A. crew plus Cold Coffee at the Bellator event in L.A. Uh, unfortunately, Copenhagen, um, the only one we'll have there is uh, is Pear, uh, our photographer uh, based in Europe. So he'll be over there shooting that. Uh, but a big, big, busy weekend, a triple event weekend, quadruple event weekend, if you will, if you if you count the uh, the Dublin card as, as two events. But we'll get into all that next week and, and try to sort that all out. Uh, in the meantime, as far as this week goes, uh, one more guest before I flew down here to Mexico. Uh, I had a chance to catch up with Eddie Alvarez. Uh, of course, he's competing at One Championship 100, titled Century. It takes place October 13th in Japan, so that'll be about one month from now. Two full cards. I mean, they're just loading up everybody they can. Uh, this is a big, big moment for them. And, of course, one of those is going to air live in the U.S. Uh, so that will be the first time they've had a, a live TV show. And they're planning on uh, they're planning on coming to the U.S. in 2020. So one championship. You know they've been making waves behind the scenes. You know, the big free agent signings and all that. And, uh, you know, I think they've mentioned it. But behind the scenes, if they, if they haven't mentioned it publicly, <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, they're definitely talking about trying to do an event in the United States in 2020. And uh, listen, man, this is this is a big, you know, another launching point of their big push, I guess. And uh, yeah, Eddie Alvarez, of course, a big big component of that. He was uh, initially eliminated from this lightweight Grand Prix. He was brought back as an injury replacement, and then he made his way into the finals of the lightweight Grand Prix. And he will fight in Tokyo on this event. Uh, it is a stacked card, man. Uh, I know some of the names you might not recognize, uh, but th- th- but they're they're loading up everybody they can, and of course they've got the ones you do recognize as well on uh, one championship 100. So uh, here's my conversation with the underground king. Hello, Eddie. Hey, what's up, John? Not much, man. How you doing, brother? Excellent, man. Well, talk to me, Eddie. I mean, listen, you've been you've been at one for a while now, man. It's getting up to the better part of a year now. So, uh, I mean, just just give me the take, man. What's your overall feeling? Your, you know, the what's the experience been like for you? Uh, I'm excited, man. Um, I've, I mean, I've been over there a number of times, not even outside of fighting, got to watch the shows there. 
Um, and one's on a roll. They're doing their own thing, man. And uh, what's going on in Asia is something, something magical. Like the, the live shows, the live events, the production, everything that's going on. It's just it's just fun to be a part of something like that. And um, um, my biggest excitement is when they touch down here in the United States because there's there's really nothing like it. And I and I fought I fought for Bellator, I fought for UFC, I fought you know I understand fighting and um just the people behind it and um what they're about and what they're trying to produce it, it, it's it's exceptional. I'm just glad to be a part of it and and I feel like I'm a part of it in its infancy. Like it hasn't it's not even grown here in the United States at all. No one even knows about it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is, is that is that tough for you at all? I mean, uh, you know, obviously, for, as far as here goes, the fights are in the middle of the night, you know, or you know, early, early in the morning. So, I mean, you're not as much in the public eye for the last year as you have been for, gosh, how long in your career, you know? Has, has that been tough for you at all? Well, right, you take one step back, uh, one step back and three steps forward, and, and that's that's kind of how I took it when I signed the contract. I said, okay, initially, I'll fight in um, – Initially, I'm going to fight in Asia, and I'm totally fine with that. I, I loved fighting in Asia when I did fight in Asia. Um, I have a huge fan base in Tokyo already from from my fights back between 2006-2008 yep. um, with, with Dream. So I already had a, a huge following, but I knew what their goal was you know their goal is to come here to, to the united states to to have a tv partner here in the united states and also come here to the united states and have fights so for me i didn't you know i never been at i'll fight anywhere i fought all over the world for every promotion in the world and uh, i didn't mind going to asia i actually enjoyed traveling the world and seeing new places that i never i never got to see yeah, no doubt. What about uh, – so how about this? I mean, you're one of the big guns. You know, they make these big moves. They make these big hires. And then you go over there and first one out, you lose. What What, what was yeah. that What was that like for you, man? I mean, did that did that get to you at all, man? I mean, uh, you know, obviously you, you've lost before and, and, and you've been on the big stage before. But, I mean, what, what was that moment like? It stunk, man. Um, <laughs> definitely. Like, um, when the fight got over, you know, I really was – more worried about my health than worried about the, the one and loss because it was such a bad injury. The injury was so bad that I kind of was like, look, if the, if the worst that came from this was that you lost the, the fight, then you got off lucky because I, I wasn't sure once the injury happened that if I'd be able to fight again, like wow. I, that's how, like my eye, my eyelids, both of them were split in half, and my eyeball, I just felt like a bunch of air getting in my eyeball, and my eyeball itself is bleeding all over, like there was blood bubbles in my eyeball. So the fact that I can see today and that I'm able to still fight the, another day was, um, I kind of looked at it that way, and I was, I wasn't looking at it like the loss. I was looking at it like. My coaches, my teammates, and myself, I, I improved so much leading up to that fight. In the four months of that fight, I was doing things that i never done before. I was improving in ways that I haven't in years. So I tried to keep my focus on my improvement that I made and not let it all go to shit by having a bad attitude about the outcome of the fight. So um, rather than like the fans, oh, you lost, just and that, I just kind of didn't pay attention to them, and I really – keyed in and focused on my improvements that I made. 
I didn't realize that it was that serious, man, with your eyes afterwards. Did you, I mean, I know you're a family guy, man. Did you start having, like, serious conversations at home? Like, hey, or, or is this starting to be too much? Uh, no, I mean, I've had them serious conversations for the last 15 years, so I don't, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, people ask, y'all, when are you going to retire? I'm like, I've been trying to retire for years. I don't, (laughs) I I just, I love this. I can't seem to get it out of my life. And, and, uh, it's something I'm, I'm probably going to be involved in, you know, my whole life, not, not competitively, of course, but I, I enjoy what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, it was serious. It was really serious, and uh, we're, we're, I was glad that um, we got past it, and I'm, you know, and I'm healthy. Yeah, so I guess with that in mind, I mean, the win over Foliang, I mean, obviously you want to get the win, but I don't know, was that was there some kind of deep inside that that was a little more meaningful, you know, to, 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 to you personally? Um, yeah, it was like, um, for me, the Foliang thing was just continuing my improvement that that I built upon in, in the four months leading up to the Timothy fight, and just continuing to get better. I want to fight often, you know. I wanted to fight often this year, so I wanted to at least get three or four fights in this year, and um, I just wanted to improve. I just kept my focus on that. Um, the outcomes of the fight, they are what they are. I mean, I'm going to do my best out there. And I'm going to try to beat opponents. But I knew that if I continued to improve the way I was, that the byproduct of that would be, you know, victories. It was just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, the full length fight, I went in injured. Um, I knew I had I had an injury. And um, he, he took advantage of it. He kicked my leg out. And I just fell to the mat. Like, I I was busted up going into that fight. But I, I, I wanted to fight. I didn't want to pull out of the fight. So, um you know the fight was what it was. So, so you you get to the finals and you got this this Dagestani monster on the other side, man. He's been tearing through people, man. I I, I feel like this is a a Rocky movie or something, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fight, fighting this beastly Russian over in Japan. I mean, uh, t- talk to you about this this guy. I mean, there's not a lot of tape on him because he gets his fights done pretty quickly. So, uh, what, what do you what do you think about the matchup? What do you think about uh, what do you think about him as an opponent? I, I think he's really well-rounded. He's big. He's strong. He's good everywhere. Like, he, there's nothing bad to say about him, right? Like, the guy, he's, he's a great opponent. He's a great competition to have. So, um, I'm just looking forward to putting my best foot forward. And um, I have what it takes to beat anyone, and not just him. This is, this fight has nothing to do with him. Um, I have all the tools to beat anyone in the world, and I've proven that over and over. So it's really about going out there, being focused, and and and, and just letting letting the game day play itself out. Um, I'm excited. I, I have everything that it takes to beat a guy like this. I, I scouted him out. I see what he's strong at. I see what he's weak at, and um, we'll be able to expo- we'll be able to exploit his weaknesses. I, I've been I've been ten and zero with all knockouts in the first round. Like I've been there in my career and I've been there and I never been in a real fight. Mm. So, you know, the idea is to put this guy in a real fight and, um, people who dominate the way he does and, and don't get out of the first round the way he does. The, the idea is to put these guys in a fight in a real fight against a real fighter. And, um, then they get to really check, you know who they are inside, so we want to we want to get them to dig deep a little bit. No doubt about it. I, I wonder, Eddie. I mean, you, you said you fought in Japan earlier in your career, and I mean, you fought around the world. Are you surprised at all by the 
by the the level of global talent? I mean, were you expecting to like? Did you think you'd be able to go over there and just tear through everybody, or or did you were you expecting to go over there and face really tough people? No, I I, I went over there already in two thousand eight, and I I I seen what I seen. You know, when I went over there in two thousand six or two thousand eight, there was Kawajiri, Joakim Hansen, Shinyoki. There's the they weren't just because they're not signed with the you know UFC does that means nothing right you know what I mean people get a misconception that the most popular guys are the best guys and, and it's not always that way um the best guys in the world are virtually unknown they're in the mm. they're in the foothills of Dagestan they're in the jungles of Brazil they're all over the world and a lot of them are unknown so um I was not definitely was not taking anyone lightly. And um, I'm still not. No question. Talk to me about the um, the weight cutting system over there, Eddie. I think that's the one thing we're all trying to wrap our heads around here in the United States is 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 this the right solution? Is it being implemented fairly? I, I have noticed, I'm not going to lie, that the guys you guys are fighting look bigger than you. I, I told Demetrius the same thing the other day. I feel like you guys are fighting monsters over there. So wh- wh- tell me about the, the, the weigh-in system and, and kind of if you think it's good, bad. You've seen it all. So, I mean, are, are, are they on to something there? Yeah, the guys do. They do seem bigger, but like for me and Demetrius, we're guys. We're guys who've been cutting weight and doing it a certain way for so many years. So there's definitely a learning curve for the both of us. Where uh, Demetrius actually helps me, like with the hydration. Like he's he's helped me every time I go out there. I'm like I don't know. I don't. I do my best in what I know. Mm-hmm. But Demetrius, Demetrius, like is able to check himself. He helps me along because he knows the process better than I do. So, um, you know, it's basically you have to be hydrated, number one. So they're checking your hydration. You're going to take a pee, and um, they're going to check the pee. They're going to do a test with the pee. So you have to pass that. There's a certain level of criteria to pass that. Um, once you pass that, then you step on the scale, and you check your weight. Um. And you have to be under the weight limit. So there's two criteria instead of one. It's not just it's not just uh, the weight itself, because anybody could weigh in at any weight right. and be completely emaciated, emaciated, emaciated. Yeah, so that's it. That's it. <laughs> um, and not not really be healthy to fight. So um, they're trying to skip that process where people are where people are um, hurting themselves. And then also um, putting themselves in jeopardy and putting the whole fight in jeopardy. Because how many guys we see, you know, trying to make weight and, and the fight never happens. Yep. So um, it's a good thing. What it does is good for the promoter, one, because the fights happen almost every time out. Right. No one's you're not going to get a last minute dropout because the guy's um, kidneys failed. Right. Um, it's good for the fan because you're going to get a hydrated, explosive, ready to go fighter. And it's good for the fighter. It's good for his health to, to be hydrated, to be healthy, to be able to go out there and fight his best. So it's a win-win for everyone involved. And, um, you know, I'm not I'm not sure there is a better way. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, cool, man. Well, listen, I know that's a, a big fight. I know we still got a month. We'll probably talk a little closer, too. But give me an idea. What's what's the overall plan right now? I mean, it, it, you win here. Do you still want to sneak one in? Uh, you said maybe fight four times. Could you sneak one in before the end of the year? And then, I guess – Looking forward, 
kind of what's the plan next year? We we hear you know a United States event is is imminent. It's definitely coming. Um, is that you know is that what you got your eyes on? You wanting to be on that, or, or do you kind of enjoy traveling? Just give me the idea. What's the the the, the goals for you right now? The goal is to capture the tournament belt. Um, after I capture the tournament belt, I, I would like to be able to enjoy Thanksgiving, enjoy Christmas, you know, um, enjoy the holidays a little bit. I had a busy year. Three fights is probably the most I fought in, in a year in a long time. Yeah. So um, uh, I'd like to enjoy that, um, get rested, and then come back strong in very, very early um, 2020 and capture the one championship world title. And uh, from there, be undefeated. My, 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 my goal is to, um, to go undefeated from here on out. Uh, get that, I got that debut out of my way, and now I just want to beat everyone. I dig it, man. I dig it. Hey, one last thing for you. Did you watch, uh, did you watch Habib the other night? Did you get a chance to watch that fight? What do you, what do you think about him as a champ right now? Yeah, I watched the Habib fight. It went, it went very according went according to the way I thought it would. Um, I, wa- I wasn't super surprised. Um, I'm not. I'm not a big ground fighter. Like that's not my goal when I go into a fight. Right. And when I fought Dustin the second time, I found myself in positions where I was being dominant on the ground. And I didn't necessarily have a goal to do that. So when <laughs> when um when I found out he's fighting Khabib, um, that's Khabib's whole game, right? Yep. So I thought to myself, like, if it's not even my goal, it's not even my thing, and I was dominating and about to finish a fight on the ground, um, I thought for sure Khabib would be able to get it done. Um, both guys, you know. Dustin put out his best effort, and so did Khabib. And uh, Khabib, as always, was very dominant. I think it's going to take a certain style, and if you don't have that style, there's a certain style you have to implement to beat him. And um, I feel like I ha- I I can implement that style um, the best of the in the in this division. Um, and I don't know if I don't know who else could. When I think about the other competition, the other top 10 in the, in the UFC and the other guys around, I don't know if they're able to, able to implement the type of fight that you have to do to beat Khabib. What do you think that type of fight is? Because I think that's what everybody's trying to figure out. I mean, obviously, some defensive wrestling is probably going to be involved, but but you got to, what, rough, rough him up in the clinch a little bit? What, what do you think that style is? Um, I, the most I can say is I've done it before. Like, it's, like I've, I've done it before with all the, like, uh, if you watch the, if you watch the second Mike Chandler fight, right. Uh, and, and you watch fight like that, where you have a guy who just throws a big punch, tries to run you in the cage, tries to rip you to the ground and, and pound you out on the ground. It's like, that's the style you'd have to implement against a guy like that to beat him. Um, you can't stand in front of him. You can't. You you, you got to be able to move laterally. You got to be able to shut down his wrestling. And when when you do get into wrestling exchanges, you have to. There's you can't be dominant. You got to have another wrestler who can match his wrestling. You know. Yep. Very true. I I don't I don't necessarily see Khabib as undefeated. I think Glayson Tiba beat Khabib. Um, That's fair. When I watched that. 
when I watch that fight back, I, I feel like Gleason beat him. So um, there's a style out there, and there's a way to beat him. I dig but it. right now, right now he's the champ. <laughs> Good stuff, Eddie. I, hey, man, I, I, I appreciate the time, brother, and I'm sure we'll talk again when we get close to the fight, man. But, uh, but thanks for this today, brother. Okay, I'll see you. See you, bro. All right, so Eddie Alvarez, man, got to be honest, I didn't even realize, like, uh, you know, the kind of the injuries that he had to deal with to get through that. So uh, it was good catching up to him. And, again, uh, big stuff on the horizon for a one championship. So we'll certainly pay attention as they push into the U.S. market. I imagine we'll be talking – uh, more about them uh, next year. So, listen, uh, it's been a busy show. Uh, we didn't even get to all the fights, man. Rodrigo da Campo, man, what a, what a great uh, – man, I just can't say enough about his breakdowns, his analysis, and his uh, his knowledge, man. Guy's got patched for the game. But uh, uh, Angela Hill taking on the, the newcomer and Ariana Kainalosi. Tyson Nam finally making it to the UFC against Sergio Pettis. Paul Craig, uh, roadshow favorite, man. He was uh, had a great interview with him. That's on YouTube uh, and on MMA Junkie as well if you want to check that out. Fun little sit-down with him. And – he was polite enough to uh, to talk slowly for us. He knows that we can't understand him all the time uh, when he speaks at full speed. So, uh, Bechko Heya versus Sajari Eubank. So, uh, some big fights there. And, of course, it starts out with Marcos Mariano versus Claudio Puyas. So, anyway, uh, I think it's going to be a fun fight card in Mexico. I do. And uh, as Rodrigo so eloquently laid out, I mean, look, you take a quick look at it and you may go, eh, it's just another card. But, uh, you know, a big moment for, for Mexican MMA. MMA. Mexican MMA. Uh, the return to uh, to Mexico City after a couple years away. So uh, I'm excited for the card. should be a lot of fun. And, of course, we will have full coverage of it at MMA Junkie. Be sure you check all of that out on Saturday. In the meantime, all I can say is thanks for listening. <laughs>